This is the Bible in Wenya, day 17. Five ways to fulfill your potential. In life, many people do not reach their full potential. We can become so caught up in the everyday that it's easier to continue in old patterns rather than change. Yet we all have a God-given desire to live to our full potential. Perhaps you remember this celebrated biography, Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday, christened on Tuesday, married on Wednesday, took ill on Thursday, grew worse on Friday, died on Saturday, buried on Sunday. That was the end of Solomon Grundy. For some people, that just about sums up their life. And yet all of us feel deep down, there must be more to life than that. Jesus says in effect, yes, there is. The potential for every human being is great. Jesus wants you to live a highly productive life. He wants you to produce a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. The minimum is a thirty times multiplication. The key to that potential lies in your relationship with Jesus, a relationship that can be as close as that of a brother or sister or mother. You can live a life of real purpose that can make a difference to the world because of what you receive from him. Your potential is not about being driven by ambition or success. It's about recognizing who you are in God. As you seek him and live your life according to his purposes, you will bear much fruit. The more you begin to fulfill your God-given potential, the more he entrusts to you. He wants you to live a life of abundance. The potential for Israel was very great. God intended that Israel would not only be blessed, but also be a blessing to other nations. You have the potential to live a life of even greater blessing than those you read about in the Old Testament. Jesus says, Blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus warns that although there is great potential in each of us, there are pitfalls ahead. How can you avoid the pitfalls and fulfill your potential? From Psalm 10 Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart he blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears, no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees.
First, possess humility. In his book, Finding Happiness, Monastic Steps to a Fulfilling Life, Abbot Christopher Jameson defines pride as self-importance. He writes, Humility is an honest approach to the reality of our own lives and acknowledges that we are not more important than other people. The psalmist goes on a journey from feeling that God is far off in times of trouble to a realization, as we will read tomorrow, that God certainly does see trouble and grief, does listen to the cry of the afflicted, and does defend the fatherless and the oppressed. In fact, it is the wicked who seek to make themselves distant. Your laws are rejected by him. They think of themselves as more important than others, especially the poor, whom they draw into their net and crush. These verses tell us about the pitfall of pride. When things go well, it's tempting to say, nothing will ever shake me, no one will ever do me harm. We can be tempted to feel that we have no need of God. In their pride, the wicked do not seek him. In all their thoughts, there is no room for God. It is easy to become arrogant and boastful. This psalm warns us against doing so and reminds us of our need for God. Lord, keep me from pride, arrogance and self-importance. May I seek you with all my heart, remembering that I need you and that you never forget me. New Testament from Matthew 12 and 13 While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Matthew chapter 13 That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. 
In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Second, pursue intimacy. Some dangerous cults have twisted the words of Jesus. To teach that becoming a Christian means severing relations with your family. This is not only dangerous, but it's also unbiblical. The fifth commandment is to honour your father and your mother. In the New Testament, we're told that anyone who does not provide for relatives, especially for immediate family members, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Yet Jesus shows here that there's something even more important than your relationship with your own family. Your supreme calling is to an intimate relationship with Jesus, doing the will of the Father. Jesus says, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. His words speak of intimacy, permanence and acceptance, a relationship at the deepest possible level. You can have this amazing closeness to Jesus. Stay close to him each day and you will fulfill your potential. Third, put down roots. The highs of spiritual experiences are very important, but if they're not combined with deep spiritual roots, there's a danger of shallowness which can lead to falling away. Be aware of this pitfall. We can all fall away in our hearts, even while we're doing the right things. Jesus talks about the seed that falls on shallow ground. It springs out quickly, but withers because it has no root. Later on, he'll explain that the person who has no roots lasts only a short time because they fall away when trouble or persecution come. Your spiritual roots are the parts of your life that no one else sees. Your secret life with God. This includes your prayers, your giving, and your thought life. If you want to fulfill your potential, make sure you develop deep, strong, and healthy roots in your relationship with God. Fourth, protect your heart. It's so easy for people to be distracted by the busyness of life. Many things can fill your life and push out time for God, church, and other ways in which your spiritual roots could be developed. Again, this is a danger for us all. Jesus warned about thorns that choke the plant. Later on, he explains that the thorns are the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Father, thank you that you call me into this intimate relationship with Jesus. Help me to put my roots down deep and to keep my eyes fixed on you. Help me to guard this relationship and never allow other things, even good things, to crowd in and choke my life. Old Testament from Genesis 34 and 35. Now Dina, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and raped her. His heart was drawn to Dina, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father Hamor, 
Get me this girl as my wife. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dina had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he did nothing about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. Then Shechem said to Dina's father and brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the young woman as my wife. Because their sister Dina had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them, We can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. The young man, who was the most honored of all his father's family, lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak to the men of their city. These men are friendly towards us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will agree to live with us as one people, only on the condition that our males be circumcised as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property and all their other animals become ours? So let us agree to their terms and they will settle among us. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dina from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. 
But they replied, Should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? Genesis chapter 35 Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel, so it was named Alon Bakath. After Jacob returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephra, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, Don't despair, for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephra, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel moved on again and pitched his tent beyond migdal Ida. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine Bilhah, and Israel heard of it. Jacob had twelve sons. The sons of Leah... Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun.
the sons of Rachel. Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Rachel's servant Bilhah, Dan and Naphtali, the sons of Leah's servant Zilpah, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre, near Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Isaac lived a hundred and eighty years. Then he breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of years. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Fifth way to fulfil your potential: purify yourself. In this passage, we read a warning of the danger of escalating revenge. One terrible crime. The rape of Dinah led to another. The retribution was not proportionate. The people of God attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They carried off all their women and children. The result was a disaster. Jacob says, "You have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the people living in this land. We're few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed." The actions of Simeon and Levi are roundly condemned for their violence, ferocity, and cruelty. Revenge was not just a pitfall for Simeon and Levi; it's a temptation for all of us. When I'm offended, I want revenge. In the Old Testament, retribution was limited by proportionality: life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and so on. Jesus sets, and by his death and resurrection, makes possible an even higher standard. In your relationships today, forgive and love your enemies. Joyce Meyer, who often speaks of the terrible abuse she suffered as a child, writes, "Have you, like Dinah, ever been an innocent victim? I can assure you that even in the worst circumstances, God gives us grace to forgive, so that we can go on with our lives." Jacob said to his household, "Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves." God appeared to Jacob, renamed Israel, and said, "I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. The potential is great." As Rick Warren says, in ministry, private purity is the source of public power. This is true for all of us, whether we're operating in the family, the workplace, the community, or the church. If we want to have a powerful impact for Christ in the world. We need to be people of purity, Lord. Thank you that the potential for my life is vast. May I produce a crop thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times what was sown. Pepper adds, "Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble?" cries the psalmist. God often seems distant and not there when difficult things happen. Yet in Genesis thirty-five three, Jacob says, "God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone." Although sometimes we feel He's not there, He is. God has been with us wherever we've been.